Live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Dental Business Radio. Brought to you by Practice Quotient. Practice Quotient bridges the gap between the provider and payer communities. Now here's your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Hi there, friends of the dental business community. This is your host, Patrick O'Rourke, and I'm the founder and CEO of Practice Quotient, PPO analysis and negotiation strategic guidance for top-tier docs. Top-tier docs meaning uh, dentists, oral surgeons, endodontists, periodontists, anybody submitting dental claims. Um, also a national public speaker. And as uh, with me, as always, is DJ John Ray on the tables. Thank you, John Ray, for being with us. But more importantly than John Ray is, maybe I speak nationally, but the person that I'm with today is international speaker, and she is known as the case acceptance coach, Janet Hagerman. How are you, Janet? Hi. Great. Thank you, Pat. Well, I'm pleased to see you and have you here in the studio. Me too. Um, so, you know, part of the, well, the whole premise of Dental Business Radio, um, because I came from corporate from the insurance business, really, and there's, I've never owned a dental practice and never ran a dental practice and certainly never presented a treatment plan. And so I had never been familiarized with a case acceptance coach. And so can you tell me and by me via also everybody out there in listener land, thank you listeners very much as well, um, what that means. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This is going to be a fun, exciting experience. It's my pleasure. To share this message. Um, It is a bit of a niche. It is definitely a niche case acceptance. First, let me just start off by letting you and your audience know that the average case acceptance in this country is 30 to 50 percent. So half of the treatment plans being presented are patients are walking around with oral disease, which, as we know, is systemic systemic disease, Mm -hmm. um, not to mention the money that you're leaving on the table. So there's a need for this. Um, the, one of the um, challenges that people have is thinking that case acceptance is the sole responsibility of the person that presents the treatment plan, whether that's an office manager or a dedicated um, treatment coordinator, that that's the responsibility and that's that's solely their job. When in reality, this is a whole, to be, to be successful, it, the whole team needs to be involved from the dentist down to all of the um, employees. So that's what I focus on. That's what I train for. So what you're this, what you mean is like from everybody from the front desk to the dentist, they're all kind of reinforcing or are educating or um, messaging in their own way. The importance of the treatment plans. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. Yeah. From the, from every single touch point. So the whole team needs to be congruent in their their philosophy, their beliefs. So let's 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 start from the beginning. The whole team needs to be congruent with the doctor's philosophy. So how do you feel about selling dentistry? A lot of people just really are resistant in dentistry to the concept of selling dentistry when in reality, I mean, you're not giving it away, you are selling and we need to take the stigma away from that. But if you have a core belief that I, I do great dentistry, I offer amazing services for my patients, and yes, we're proud of the dentistry that we sell, 
are all your people on board with that? How do they feel about selling? I mean, I've talked to people in dentistry that, that they themselves will say, well, yeah, I think dentistry is expensive. Now, if you have that mindset, it's going to be hard for you to sell quality dentistry. So I often say, you know, these are some things that are expensive, you know, designer jeans that have holes in them, um, a new cell phone every time it comes out, not because you need it, because it has a little fancier pixels or whatever. Photography um, is very important. But, <laughs> um, tattoos, you know, fake fingernails. We, I, I'm not um, judging how people spend their disposable income. Yeah, John Ray's getting all riled up over there. Yeah, he's got tattoos, yeah, he's got and, tattoos the, and the fingernails, the There you go. So, so people do have the money for what they want in this country, mostly whether they need it or not. Our job in dentistry is to help them want what they need. So when you look at it that way, the value for the dentistry that we provide is amazing and remarkable. So the first thing is for the team, you know, some practices don't even have business meetings. They don't have team meetings. So the first thing is to have regularly scheduled meetings where you have conversations about this and then you create the strategies. Well, if we do believe in selling dentistry and we want to increase our case acceptance, what do we do about it? What kind of systems do we need to do? And so that's what my book is about, selling dentistry ethically, elegantly, and effectively. And that's what my programs are about, teaching teams. What is each person's responsibility in this? What is each person's job? Um what kind of language do we use? What kind of words and phrases do we use? And what kind of words and phrases do we avoid? So that's the beginning, that the staff meeting and that we have a clear philosophy about that in our practice. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing yuck mouth is a, a term to be avoided? <laughs> Probably. Okay. Yeah. Right, so it's not like an official clinical term. Yeah. All right. Um, now, I... You did say 30 to 50% is your case acceptance rate. So that means that we have 50 to 70% is a decline. Or, well, I'll think about it. Right. Not right now. It means yeah. You're not moving it just forward. means it hasn't been scheduled. Okay. So yeah. is there any research or any data on the, the reasons? Like, what are the top three reasons? Well, a lot in, in, in the offices, they'll tell you that it's money. But studies that have been done by um, companies that have big marketing dollars to put into that, that have actually done surveys, uh, say that it is not necessarily money. It's that they didn't get the value or that they w didn't have enough time spent with them. So the patient experiences, think of it like Disney World, where the experience is wonderful and you never see garbage cans there, but the garbage goes somewhere, the trash goes somewhere. So they've got all those underground tunnels where people scurry around and take care of making sure it's a beautiful, wonderful experience. Um, that's sort of what we do in dentistry too. So there's a lot of behind the scenes work that needs to go on to make sure that that experience is wonderful for that patient. So by the time they get to the treatment coordinator, it's like, I wouldn't want to go anyplace else. This place feels so good. I'm not sure what it is, but I feel like I'm the only person here. They're taking such good care of me, and I want this treatment. I may not know how I'm going to afford it at this moment in time, 
but they've explained it to me in a way that is going to let me be part of that plan. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to figure it out together. So it's a partnership, a real partnership. Gotcha. So let's um, walk me through. Let's say that you have a gentleman or a patient come in to the practice in our theoretical practice here, and they have not seen the dentist since the the Reagan administration. <laughs> okay. Maybe they floss, maybe they don't, you know, um, but they certainly have um, some periodontal issues. They need a lot of work done. Yeah. They have some trepidation about going to the, going to the dentist. And then, the, so what happens, like if you hand this gentleman a, you know, $20,000 treatment plan and you're like, all right, we take major credit cards. They're probably not going to move or they're, you know, they're not going to move forward. Right. Um, so tell me what the right way is generally right in your own terms. So let's say that the gentleman, right. the patient comes in and let's just make up a name. All right. John Ray and John Ray (laughs) comes in and he hasn't seen the dentist since the Reagan administration. What would you tell John Ray um, elegantly and softly so he doesn't lose confidence in himself? Not that he's lacking, but. Okay. All right. So several things here. I love patients that haven't been to the dentist since the Reagan administration. I love those patients for several reasons. Number one, you know, they're going to have needs probably not always, but probably. Um, And they know they, they know that. They know that if they haven't been into the dentist in 8, 10, 12, even 3 or 4 years, they are going they won't tell you that right off the bat, but they'll they'll expect that they're going to need some some work, some something. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is at the beginning, I wouldn't tell them anything. We talk too much in dentistry. People think that case acceptance and selling dentistry is about patient education, how we talk to patients, what we say to them, but we talk too much in dentistry. We need to ask really good open-ended questions, and then sit back and listen carefully. So one of the first things that I teach is setting the whole situation up for success, and I have a couple of little ways of doing that. But then I'm going to ask John a lot of good open-ended questions. What's kept you from the dentist? When was the last time you were at the dentist? What brought you here today? And why today? Well, I just got an insurance. I've never had insurance. Or... Well, I've got pain, this tooth is hurting, or um, my daughter's getting married in six months and I want my smile to look good. So, so part of it is asking good open-ended questions. Some of the values questions that I recommend are, what is the most important thing to you about your dentist or your dental practice? That they don't hurt me, that they see me on time, that they take my insurance for everybody listening right now, they're nodding their head in agreement because we've all heard those reasons. Um, what's the most important thing to you about a, a dental practice? Um, so those those are some key things that all the team needs to know when they're when they're dealing with a patient. Um, so collecting information, asking good open ended questions because periodontal disease. You mentioned periodontal disease. So John is in my chair now. And I'm suspecting that he's may have some periodontal disease. He's, he's got pockets of like seven. <laughs> Before I find those pockets, the first thing I'm going to let John know is I'm going to ask him, so John, tell me, 
What do you know about periodontal disease? Open-ended question. Not do you know about periodontal disease, but what do you know? And he's going to say, I don't know. I guess that's the thing old people get, or that's the thing people get when they don't take care of their teeth, or that's like gross, yucky gums, or whatever his answer is. My answer is going to be, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm so glad to hear that. A lot of other patients have thought that too. But in actuality, half the population in our country has some form of, of periodontal disease. So in our practice, we screen for it very carefully. So this is what we're, we're going we're gonna to be looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the types of things. Open-ended questions, values questions are really important. Um, what's the most important thing to you about your teeth or your, or your uh, dental experience? And, and your dental office from your dentist. Um, it's so important. If you're listening right now and think, well, that sounds like a good idea, but I wish I, I hope I can remember that. Um, I create what I call cheat sheets for my clients and for people listening to these podcasts. Um, they're one pagers, and um, that, that particular one will have those values questions with the answers and graphics, like really easy for you to stick in your pocket or put in your treatment room, be, you know, tape it behind a cupboard or something that you can refer to readily and easily and go, oh yeah, that's, I remember what she said that about that and help you remember. So from time to time today in our time together, I'll let you know whatever freebies I have available. And just for you listeners at the end, when we talk about contact information, just all you need to do is send me an email in the subject line, put freebies, and I will, I will send those cheat sheets to you. So that takes care of the values questions. I think that they should mention dental business radio or DBR. Oh, Thank you for reminding me of because that. Because otherwise, to say that. you might get other freebies. She could send you a toothbrush. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. For sure. Well, for Dental Just Business put, Radio, do me, do me a yeah. solid, listeners, um, because you know what? We're not uh, tracking. We want to make sure that the content is uh, good and that we are delivering value for you spending the time with us here. Um, so, so I like that. So, this is part of the treatment coming in for somebody that um, hasn't been there for a little while. So maybe they, they have some fear of the unknown, not necessarily fear of pain, but just fear of the unknown and how expensive it might be. I know expense is going to be, um, whether it's legitimate or not, right, that's going to come up a lot. So if somebody says, oh, you know, it just seems very expensive to me, um, then then what? Well, you're having that conversation after you've had a lot of other experience in the office that comes at the, that comes much later. But, um, let me talk about the treatment triad. Treatment triad. Yeah. Let me talk about the treatment triad. Interesting. Let's do that. Well, once you've asked values questions and you know what that person's values is. So, so John's value is number one, he hasn't been to the dentist in a long time. And one of the reasons is he's just scared to death to go to the dentist. And he, is he has kind of afraid he cat. He's a Freddy cat, he and is, yeah. um, he hasn't valued his own he, body. He, he he thinks dentistry is expensive. So I'm gonna I am going to present treatment based on what he's told me is important to him. So you know, John, you, I know you told me that you you know you've all you've just been afraid to go to the dental office, and I understand that. 
a lot of our feel felt found, a lot of our patients have felt that same way. And what they found is as they've gotten to know us, they've gotten over their fear and some of them actually enjoy coming to see us. So I hope we'll be able to put you in that category. Going forward, I'm going to present his treatment because you told me you want to keep your teeth for a lifetime. We're going to present this to you in a way to keep you from being in pain in the future. We want to treat this preventively so that you don't have the kind of pain that you're going through now. Um, And so we're going to present this in um, sections. So when I'm talking about a comprehensive treatment plan with John's going to need, because he hasn't been in in a long time, um, I've audited hundreds, if not thousands of chart audits in dental offices. And it's Mm -hmm. surprisingly, shockingly sad how few comprehensive evaluations, the 0150 comprehensive evaluation, isn't comprehensive. It's missing a lot of inf- information. So why do we not do these comprehensive exams, which could be considered in- insurance fraud? You're the, the expert in insurance. So we're, we're calling it a comprehensive evaluation. We're charging for it, but we're not doing a complete evaluation. And I truly believe much of this comes from not just a perceived lack of time, but a perception that it's going to be overwhelming to the patient. If I present all this information that I've found, it's going to be so overwhelming, they're going to leave and go, how come my last dentist didn't find all this? So the treatment triad is designed to get past that overwhelm and get the patient in a place where they're going, wow, that was a really thorough exam. I've got a lot that I need to do, but they're going to help me do it. Right. And so just for the insurance part of it, the code is comprehensive oral evaluation. Correct. It does not say anything about the articulation. It's the evaluation. So you're collecting all of this information and diagnostics and then coming up with the prognosis and how Mm -hmm. you articulate that. It doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily, I don't believe it's in the code. I, I don't have it right in front of me, but from my memory. So um, just for you, every, all the insurance dorks out there like me, <laughs> I, that's a compliment. Um, so let's get into the treatment triad. So I hear you. They did some sort of evaluation though, but let's take it to the Janet practice. So let's say that there was a comprehensive oral evaluation. You got some pretty charting, you got some good x-rays. You have a pretty good idea of what needs to be done and then the patient has articulated maybe what their priorities are. And then you're going to have to triage that with the health issues, I'm assuming. So I, this is me guessing. So walk me through what the actual process should be in the triad. So I would be saying to John Ray, John, as I examine your mouth today, I'm going to be looking for three things. I'm going to be looking for urgent treatment. I call it 911. And that's anything that we know has to be done right away, which I'm sure you know that one tooth that brought you in that you're having pain with. We need to, we need to fix that right away. We need to get you out of pain and fix that. I'm also going to be looking for preventive work. This is work that could be in various levels of deterioration that we need from a preventive standpoint to repair. Some may be more urgent than others, but this is something that will work with you on different levels. 
And finally, we're going to look at cosmetic. You said you might want your teeth whitened. Um, there's some other tweaks, some some teeth that are kind of a little out of alignment that you might be interested in getting straightened. So we're going to look at that too, but that's cosmetic. It's not necessary, but it's fun to look at. So we're going to be looking at those three levels of treatment. Urgent, we got to do it right now. Preventive, we can do over time. And cosmetic, how much fun is that going to be to consider? So by doing that, the patient isn't, it's like, oh my gosh, we don't have to get all, the, they didn't just hand me an eight ten thousand dollars treatment plan when I really just came in to get my teeth cleaned. That's what patients will tell you. Mm-hmm. If they haven't been in in a while, they know deep in their heart, deep in their soul, that they really came in to find out what else is going on. But they flossed right before they came and then they flushed <laughs> the blood out. And they're like, all right, uh, they'll, they'll never know. They'll never know. Yeah, That's right. what I do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife does it too. Uh, shout out, baby. Love you. I know you don't listen to the show, so I can make fun of you. Um, just like John Ray can't talk. They can't hear her either. Um, and so that's the triple tri- treatment that's case. A, that's the treatment triad, the treatment triad. Uh, and it, hyg- it works for hygienists too. So if you're the hygienist, let's say you're doing the new patient evaluation on a different level as the hygienist, you've asked John, what do you know about periodontal disease? And he gave you an answer and you let him know that it's very prevalent in this country, different levels of it. And we're going to, I'm going to screen for that today. So um, same thing. We're going to look at three levels. What's urgent. You've got some areas in your mouth that are bleeding. That's not healthy. We, we want to eliminate that bleeding and get rid of that. We've got some other areas where you've got some deep, po- deeper pockets than are normal. They're not bleeding yet. But we want to make sure that we maintain that. Periodontal disease is like diabetes. There's different levels. Mm -hmm. You may have to give yourself an injection or you may not. We'll just control it with with diet. I got to put a needle in my own gums. (laughs) And um, there's actually a very strong correlation between diabetes and periodontal disease. So we're going to look at that and then we're going to see how, how can we maintain that for you so we can keep it under control. If you've got bone loss, we can't cure it. We can't grow the bone back yet, but, um, but we want to maintain it. So you stay healthy. Mm-hmm. So you can use a treatment triad. Hygienists can use it as well with perio and dentists with restorative. Well, you said that it's, um, and I'm, it's prevalent in this country. And since you're international, um, are there other countries where it's not as prevalent as the United States of America? So I have not read any studies on that, but mm. what we do know is we get more diseases, including things like periodontal disease, the more processed a diet that we have, mm. sugary carbohydrates. So wow. I had a patient once that was from the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. He was in his 40s. He'd never been to the dentist. He had a, yeah, he had a clean mouth. Really? Yeah, and no cavities. Had never had a cavity. Didn't have a cavity, and he didn't have periodontal disease. Kind of flossing with like uh, no, co- I wouldn't floss coconut he was a <laughs> Interesting. Yes. So processed foods, high fructose. Yeah. Um, yeah, the doctor tells me that leads to a lot of things. Diabetes, um, for sure. Um, okay, so let's get into the buying decisions. Um, they're made with emotion and not logic. And I will give a shout out to the feel felt found. Um, <laughs> the person who taught me that uh-huh. was the immortal Don Weitzel, who is still active here in Georgia. Uh, so shout out to Don Weitzel. I do miss you, Don. Um, 
And that is a very effective way to let people know that you've heard them and that they're not alone and that the what outcome we're trying to get to, not just and that's proven, you know, it's a, it's more of a social proof thing too. So absolutely. Um, he's a good matcher of that. It sounds like you are too. Um, and so, but that also shows that it's made with emotion because it's like, I understand how you feel, right? So that's our buying decision. And so if you know that, how do you use emotion to increase your dental case acceptance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this is, yeah, this is a great topic. Um, first of all, let me share that um, I first heard Feel Felt Found from Naomi Rohde many, many years ago, probably 30, maybe 40 years ago. So it's a phrase that's been around for a long time. And why is that? Because it works. So we still use it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love that. So yeah, let's talk about buying decisions, emotion, and logic. So many, many studies have been done that show that we make buying decisions based on emotion, and then we justify them with logic. So, I mean, all you have to do is watch a couple of TV ads and see that they use the, the Madison Avenue knows this, so they use emotion to sell a car. You know, the Subaru ads for love, we love this, we love that, the, mm-hmm. do, the great dog ads that they have. So, so, But what do we do in dentistry? We get our patient in the chair, and then we do our evaluation, and then we patient educate. So we educate and we educate. As a clinician, I can tell you. And Yeah. I'm sorry, what, what was yeah, that, Janet? Yeah. yeah, I had a patient. Uh, give me some more education. Yeah, yeah. So when you see that deer in the <laughs> headlights look, and what do we do? You know, somebody said, real education is not the filling of a bucket. It's the lighting of a fire. So what do we do in That's dentistry? Like we that. are logical people. We live in this tiny little dark black hole of millimeters so then when we get a patient in the chair and we start telling them what a crown is or telling them what periodontal disease is, they get the glazed look. And so what do we do? We tell them some more. Oh, they, they look like they're not getting it. So maybe I'll just explain it in a different way or explain it again. So um, we need to appeal to their emotion rather than logic. Because once we get in relationship really, really well and they trust us, I mean, I have healthcare professionals that it's like, just, I trust you, just do it. <laughs> and so, so what we needed, that's where those values questions it's come really in. really important as a healthcare professional. It's as, crucial. As a, as a consumer. It is crucial now because now more than ever, our patients, our clients are more educated than ever. And, you know, they're Googling Dr. Google for, for everything and they'll leave at the drop of a hat. So Dr. What's Google always tells them? me I have cancer and I'm going to die in three well, days. See, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't consult Dr. Google anymore. So, so rather than appealing to logic, we need to use the values questions to find out what our patient's values are. And then we use that when we present treatment. So I may have two patients that both need a crown in the same place for the same reason on the same tooth, but I am going to present that differently. So my patient, Nancy, who told me once, um, just hurry up and just, can you just clean my front teeth? Just clean my front teeth because I'm in a hurry to go shopping on vacation. Now, was Nancy functional or cosmetic? She's like totally cosmetic. My husband, on the other hand, will say, I, I'm not as concerned about what my teeth look like. I just want them to last forever. 
you know, till I die. I want I, I want them to work. I want to be able to eat my steak. So I'm going to present that same exact crown differently to those two different patients. To Nancy, I'm going to say, you know, you are a beautiful woman and you deserve a beautiful smile. So let's get this tooth fixed and get all that old nasty old metal out of there. I never call it amalgam. I never would ever call it the silver filling. Let's get that out of there and get you a beautiful crown. Dr. Um, Dr. O'Rourke is wonderful in the cosmetic dentistry that he does. And by the way, it's going to strengthen that tooth too, as an afterthought. To my husband, you're going to say something like, you know, I told me, you told me you want to keep your teeth for the rest of your life and I'm here to support you in that goal. That's a phrase that should be in everybody's brain and roll off their tongue in the office. They all should be able to say, you told me you wanted to X, Y, Z, and I am here to support you in that goal. And, and one of the ways we're going to do that is, so Lee, on that particular tooth, it's kind of like a crumbling foundation. So we want to beef up the structure because he'll understand that. He understands construction. And by the way, Dr. O'Rourke is a great cosmetic dentist, so it's, it's going to look nice too. It's going to look like the rest of your teeth. But more importantly for you and your goal, it's going to strengthen that tooth and provide um, protection for it. That's a very good comparison. And I would say that my mom would be super proud of me if I was Dr. O'Rourke. <laughs> uh, not that she's not proud of me anyway, but um, I think that that's a very, that's an excellent um, comparison of the different uh, patient types. You know, I'm still from the corporate, I like client types. You have different mm-hmm. client types. There's different uh, behavior that is attached to, you know, folks' personalities and what mm-hmm. they value, what's important to them. Right. Um, and you can find that out fairly, fairly quickly by asking good values questions and then listening. Um, and then there's other things you can do too to help with the emotional state of patients. Most patients come to the dentist with a l- level of anxiety, a, some level of anxiety, certainly new patients. And so there are things we can do to just help relax them by not saying, How are you today, Pat? Instead, being positive and saying, what, what great has happened to you this week? What's the best thing that's happened to you this week? Or what are you going to do for fun this weekend? And putting people in a positive state. Most people are not. You ask, I mean, think about it. When you ask people how they're doing, they're usually telling you about the traffic or, you know, the mm-hmm. negative things that have happened. So you have somebody who's already in a negative state in your chair, and then you're going to find, you know, you're going to find work that needs to be done. So what if you put them in a really positive state to be, to begin with? Just simple things like that. that. What about the handoff? You know, how we hand patients off from one clinician to another in the practice. The handoff should be studied. It should be analyzed. I have um, a list of the five components of a good handoff, and those are uh, available on cheat sheets as well. So uh, have you ever been in a practice uh, office for anything, an eye doctor, your GP, whatever, and they put you in a room and say, um, the doctor will be here in in a few minutes, and you sit for 10, 15, you know, like, Mm. when are they going to get here? And now there are no magazines in in the room, so you can't read a magazine. So that handoff is really, really important. So people, I think that every touch point that 
the patient makes with your practice from the moment they actually even look you up on, you know, your website to the first phone call to the minute they walk out the door. Everyone has to be carefully thought out. So every team member has their part to play. I like that. That's uh, very thorough. And that makes a whole lot of sense to, to me. Um, tell me, you had mentioned earlier today about storytelling. I like storytelling personally, um, as a speaker, right? As we're both speakers, I think it makes for a more engaging, um, presentation. And I, and as a listener and as somebody who enjoys, you know, other people speaking, um, I also like the storytelling and, so tell me a little bit about how you tell a story with our same, you know, metaphorical patient, whether we're using the two patient types, mm-hmm. right? Is there different stories for them or like, is it a fairy tale involving a tooth and the tooth fairy? Like, <laughs> I, like I'm trying to think of, I don't think I've ever been told a story at the dental practice. And so give me, an example. You you may have and maybe didn't realize it. And the person that told you the story may not have realized that they were telling you a story either. But once again, rather than thinking we have to educate our patients, reaching them emotionally, storytelling has been around since the beginning, since we could speak. Mm-hmm. Long before we had written language, that's what we used to 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 pass generations of history down from generations to drawings are essentially stories Mm -hmm. in a Mm -hmm. comic strip form. Yeah. So with storytelling, and it's becoming more and more um, sort of the trend in business, where we haven't typically thought about storytelling and business going together, because business is serious and professional, and storytelling is silly like for kids in The Wizard of Oz. But the truth about stories is, is... you put yourself, whether you're reading a book or looking at a movie, when you're when you're watching that or reading that, it's like you become part of the protagonist. You become part of that story. You go, you think, you know, I can relate to that. And that is the beauty and the power of stories. People get emotionally involved. So let me tell you a story about my mother. Please. My mother needed an implant. Mm-hmm. And... Her first dentist, when we first started this conversation, just refused to do an implant because he thought she was too old. Personally, I think he wasn't comfortable doing implants. I found her a new dentist, and he too was reluctant. But I asked him, clinically speaking, is there any reason not to do an implant for my mother? And he said, no, there wasn't. So anyway. Why don't you take him to an oral surgeon? uh, he He did the implant. He did a beautiful job. Months later, I asked my mom, how's that implant doing? Now, my mother has had replaced hips and replaced knees. <laughs> She's got a lot of, re- lot, of, lot of replacements. And she said, what do you mean? You mean my hip implant? Or I said, no, mom, your tooth. Remember, you had that tooth implant. And she said, oh, yeah, I've forgotten all about that. It's great. I don't even feel it. I don't even know it's there. Now, my mother will complain about what anything costs, no matter what it is, she'll complain about the cost. So, And our patients are like that too. That's not a reason to think that they're not going to do it because they complain about the cost. That's just something that people sometimes do. My mother is a great example. But she said, my mother can eat now on that side comfortably. And that is for a woman that is blind in one eye, can barely see, can barely hear, 
that's her one joy in life is eating. She loves a good prime rib. So for her to be able to to have that implant on that side, she said, the only thing I'm mad about is that I can't have one on the other side. She's clinically not a candidate for an implant on the other side. So she has a bridge and she hates it, hates it, hates it, hates it. Mm. So this is what I would share with somebody who's considering an implant. Do it now while you still have the healthy bone and you're mm, not going to regret it. That's that's the story of my mother. story of my husband is he needed three implants, and they didn't explain the finances to him very well. So um, he had some big financial surprises, which really angered him, and he ended up switching dentists. Mm-hmm. But he said, in retrospect, I look back, he said, those three implants is one of the best decisions I ever made. I wish I'd done it earlier. So those are two stories that I share. And I tell people, you have stories, you just may not remember them at the moment. And I do a whole exercise with teams to help them remember stories. And you can borrow stories from other people. You can use my story. So if you don't have an implant story, you can say, let me tell you the story about my friend Janet's mother, Mm -hmm. my friend Janet's husband. So as a team, this is like a team effort and a team. This is a perfect topic for a team meeting. As you're sitting around doing a team meeting, we're going to have this team meeting about storytelling. And we're going to do these exercises that Janet recommends. We're going to come up with our stories. We're going to share them. So I can tell your story. You can tell my story. Um, And that's how we're going to start to... Educate our patients. Right. You can, you can Educate. Collect them a lot too. Exactly. So if you're thinking about it, you know, you can just collect it. It's sort of like testimonials if you're just exactly thinking about it. Exactly. Right? And then you're like, oh, well, you're really happy. And you're, it's like you're getting that positive feedback, which for me personally, that's what keeps me going. Um, and I think that I'm not alone in that. And, but I'm taking it all in. I'm like, I'm glowing. If I'm able to, get, <laughs> I love it. If I'm able to get that and capture it, then it can help a lot of other people because then if they're like, well, you know, I don't know if you could do it, and I'm like, you know, and a lot of other clients felt that way, just like you, All yeah. right? And then yes, and the feel felt felt right, and then but and then here's what they found, and then here it is in their own words. Yeah, you yeah. know, um, I got into storytelling through a woman named Kendra Hall who is a storytelling expert for Fortune 500 companies. I mean, the Coca-Colas of the world and the Microsofts of the world. She teaches them storytelling as a sales method. And one of the types of stories that she talks about is a founder's story. What the founder of the company, what what made you want to do that? You know, what made you want to have a trucking company? What made you want to have a radio show? What made you want to do this dental business uh, program? I like hanging out with John Ray personally. It could be that, yeah. But you, but but when you start to dig deeper, you find out these wonderful f- stories, and it doesn't have to be just the owner. It could be the hygienist. It could be the dental assistant or the administrative assistant. What what made you want to do this? And some of these stories are just like really heart wrenching and impactful. And I've started asking people. Um, what made you want to be a hairdresser? And the person that says, well, I needed something to do because I have this situation I have to take care of. 
These are two examples I had. My brother is, um, uh, I think it was Down syndrome or something, and I just needed a part-time thing. My mother's hairdresser, who does my hair as well when I'm down visiting in Florida, said, Mindy, so what made you want to be a hairdresser? She said, you know what, Janet? When I was a little girl, I don't know about, I, I just don't know, but I just loved playing with hair. Those Barbie dolls, boy, I was just rolling their hair up, and, and I thought, that's who I want to go to. She has been passionate about hair since she was a little girl. This other woman, she's not passionate about, for her, it's just a clock punching thing. I want to go to the person that they're passionate about that. Mm -hmm. So not everybody in dentistry is passionate. Not everybody is, you know, it's their final job. Maybe there's some clock punchers in the team, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're going to be some people that are going to have some Wonderful stories. One of my clients that's an oral surgeon did this amazing transformation for a gal that was born without a lot of, of, of her teeth. And for years, she couldn't smile. He did a complete you know, implant makeover for her. And her testimonial, it brings tears to my eyes every time I watch it. And I've watched it a hundred times. So we all have stories. It may be a founder story. It may not be a founder story. It may be a story about uh, a, a patient that's heart wrenching and has a wonderful ending. Um, we don't have to reveal any HIPAA. We don't have to use any names, but just to be able to say, let me tell you a story about one of my patients mm-hmm. that had periodontal disease. I like that. So let me ask you a question. What is your why? What is Janet's why? Why are you passionate about selling dentistry ethically, elegantly, and effectively? Oh, nobody's asked me that. Thank you. Um, I'll be honest with you and let you know that I didn't, you know, I'm not like a lot of people in dentistry. I just love the actual dental part of it. Um, I was actually, I was bored with dental hygiene. My extremes, I did perio and I loved perio and I did pedo which mm-hmm. came as a huge surprise to me. I, there's no way I'm going to deal with kids all day long. But I loved the behavioral challenges. So I liked those two extremes, the behavioral challenges. So that has to do with communication. So what I found was um, I had a patient one time who was a perio patient. He was a bank president. And as I launched into my best patient education from the Medical College of Georgia that he had taught me, he stopped me put his hand on my arm and said, little lady, little lady, please dispense with a lecture. I have an important business appointment to go to, so please just hurry and and finish my appointment so I can get on. Mm -hmm. And I was horrified and shocked and embarrassed. And later, um, self-reflective saying, what did I miss? What did I miss? So that began my quest for communication. How do we communicate with people? And over my years as a clinical hygienist and then going into consulting, I was the director of hygiene for five years for a large DSO. So I got to hear a lot of conversations in a lot of offices, and some of them just made me shudder. And I just saw a need for how do we learn to speak to our patients, not clinical, not filling up the bucket with more and more water. How do we light their fire? Mm-hmm. How do we light their fire? That's the answer to case acceptance. We have to light their fire because if we don't, they'll go down the street. So what can we do as a team? And that's why I wrote the book, um, Ethically, Elegantly, and Effectively. Ethically, for the people that say, well, we don't sell dentistry. Well, of course, it's got to be ethically diagnosed. 
We're not going to sell somebody a bill of goods they don't need. We're going to sell them what is clinically diagnosed. Um, and effectively is when the patient says, yes, I'll do it. You can patient educate all day long, but if the patient doesn't say yes, you haven't been effective. That's what effective selling is. And finally, how do we do that elegantly? How do we do that in a way that makes you feel great about what you talk to your patients about all day long? Um, how do we do that in a way that's not awkward or pushy or salesy? And that also is not awkward for our patients because they're uncomfortable when they come to see us. They're in an anxious state. So how do we present this information, which is going to impact their budget, there's no doubt about it, in a way that makes them leave not feeling like, oh my gosh, they just he must need to make a new Mercedes payment, to, oh my gosh, that's <laughs> the most thorough exam I've ever had. I just love that whole team. They seem to love themselves. And people want to be with winners, So I want them leaving your office, and this brings me to one quick point that I do want to make, and that is one of the reasons for to learn these skills is for your brand promotion and protection. And I can see you looking at me with a quizzical look on your face, Um, not only for solo practices, but especially, too, for DSOs. So when patients leave, they're going to repeat what you have told them. That's... (laughs) That's that's going to be what's going to be spoken about your practice. So, what are your people saying? You know, what language, what terminology are they are they using when they speak to patients about the treatment that they need? Is it something that you would be proud to hear somebody talk about in a cocktail party? Like, oh my gosh, I went to see Doctor O'Rourke. I don't know what it is about that office. They are so amazing. They found a lot of work that I need to have done, but they explained it to me. And I'm on a we're on a plan. We know from studies that patients want to be part of the decision making process. So we need to include them so that they feel like they're part of it in terms of scheduling it out and mm-hmm. the prioritizing that we talked about in the treatment triad. Mm-hmm. So um, this is part. I don't want patients leaving saying. I went in there for my free cleaning because now I got insurance. And boy, you wouldn't believe the $8,000 worth worth of uh, what they say that I need. I don't know if I need it or not. No, I want them saying, you know what? I just went in for my free cleaning because I've got my insurance now. And boy, they just did the most thorough job. And I know it's been a while. I know I'm going to need some work. But I'm really excited about working with this team. I really like these guys. Do you see the difference? Do you it's, see what I'm talking it, about? Yeah, I do. And I can tell you that it's huge from, because if somebody hasn't been in for a while and they have a poor experience, not only are they going to ruin your brand, right? Which is important. Mm-hmm. I get it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also highly unlikely to go back um, to and, another one. And then they just, so the oral health care gets ignored. Mm-hmm. We're not helping that that patient. And then when you look at it on a, on, on a macro level, on a higher level, um, that just causes healthcare to get worse, right? And so that defeats the entire purpose of having the 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 insurance. I'm using air quotes like a big dork, but um, but the purpose of that is to get folks on a routine basis to where they don't have issues down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that it that it is critical because they get if they get it and they haven't been to the dentist, they go in there and they're like, ah, they got this and they didn't feel good about it. Now you just scare them off. Now, and I can tell you that's probably twenty percent of the population. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and where are they going to talk about you everywhere on social media? <laughs> right. Or, I, I, I yeah. Would, word of mouth on steroids. 
Uh-huh. So whether it's a good experience, you know, they're going to repeat what they've heard. So you better make sure that what you're telling your patients is something that's you want to be repeated. Yeah. And I hope that all listeners like me, what I have in my mind, because we were talking, I thought one thing is that in my head, I have the Doors song, uh, Come On Baby, Light My Fire. I, I like that. <laughs> that's now in my head and will be in my head for the rest of the day. Aww. So thank you for that, Janet. <laughs> now, for our listeners, if they want to reach you, how do they get a hold of Janet? My email is Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at JanetHagerman.com. J-A-N-E-T. H-A-G-E-R-M-A-N. Email me for those um, freebies, for those cheat sheets, and um, dental business radio freebies. Right. Or you just put DBR. Or That's fine, You too. want to put O'Rourke, but a yeah. lot of folks have trouble with O'Rourke, so you can just put Pato. Um, and this is Patrick O'Rourke, um, and the host of Dental Business Radio, and the founder and CEO of Practice Quotient. Everybody calls it PQ. Uh, PPO analysis, negotiation, and strategic guidance. Um, you can find me at practicequotient.com or at patrickorourke.me. P-O-Rourke at patrickorourke.me is probably the best way to get a hold of me should you have any questions, suggestions, feedback, or good jokes. Uh, <laughs> I would like to thank Janet again for coming on the show. I would like to thank the MC John Ray for doing a terrific job as always. And I would like th- to thank all of you, dear listeners, for spending your time with us. Until next time. Thank you.